before we um, really get started with the sermon this morning, I want to take a moment. I, I want to bring your attention to two sheets of paper. One of them you should have already, which is your bulletin. Um, and just pay attention to the things that are going to be happening, particularly this week. Um, tomorrow and on Tuesday, so Monday and Tuesday this week at 9 o'clock, we're going to be meeting in here um, to decorate the church uh, for Christmas. Um, next, <laughs> next Sunday, believe it or not, next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and um, there's not a whole lot of Christmas in here yet, so it's all got to go up this week. So um, we will be here um, 9 o'clock on Monday and Tuesday. Um, anyone who is able to be here, um, please be here, um, and uh, we can uh, um, use you to, to help um, uh, decorate. I will tell you this. Um, I know that treats, coffee, and Christmas music are on offer. So if you want something sweet and a cup of coffee and Christmas music, be here at 9 o'clock. Um, if you just want those three things tough, we're locking the doors at 9.01, and you're going to have to decorate. Um, the church office is going to close at noon on Wednesday for the holiday, so just uh, be aware of that. Um, but then on Friday and Saturday of this week, um, yes, that's the day after Thanksgiving and the day after that, but on Friday and Saturday of this week from 1.30 to 3.30, we're doing something very special. We're going to be meeting here at the church, and we're going to be going out in our community to prayer walk, but also to hang invitations for our Christmas programmings uh, um, on people's doorknobs. We have ordered some door hangers that have all of the information about our Christmas services, um, and uh, we're going to be doing that on Friday and Saturday. Um, it's not long. We're not knocking on doors. This is not trying to put you outside of your comfort zone. I know for some folks that would be a lot, but what we're asking you to do is come, grab some of those door hangers, go with a friend, go out, walk up and down a street. When you come to a house, pray for the people who live in that house. I don't care if you don't know who lives in them. Somebody lives in it, and they need prayer. Pray for them. Pray that their walk with Jesus would flourish. Pray if they don't have a walk with Jesus that they would come to no one. Pray that if they don't have a place to be at Christmas, they would come and join us. Go and hang the door hanger on their doorknob. If you see people, don't be weird. Talk to them. Um, but, um, but the point here is not for us to go and knock on doors. The point is um, for us just to go and spread the word about what we're doing this Christmas. Which leads us to the second sheet of paper. You may have received this already in the mail. Um, and uh, I will tell you the one that you got in the mail had a mistake on it that is Carter's fault. I want to be very clear, it's Carter's fault. Um, I told you that December the 2nd was a Saturday. In fact, it is not. It is a Friday. But this is a, um, lets you know all of the special things that we're doing uh, this year uh, for Christmas, including um, that next Friday. Um, Friday, December the 2nd, is our Twilight Parade. Come and join us in front of the church to watch the Christmas Parade. But we're also going to be having coolers of coffee and hot cocoa that we're going to be handing out to folks. Um, just as our Christmas gift to the community. 
Um, on the next Sunday, Sunday to the December 4th at 5 o'clock, we're going to be having our congregational Christmas party, which will be a potluck over in the fellowship hall. Um, come and join us for that. And then you will note, um, I want to bring special attention to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, over the last couple of years, well, actually over the last couple of years, because of COVID, we haven't been able to do much for Christmas Eve. But prior to that, it had become our tradition to have a 2 o'clock family Christmas Eve service. That's a, a fun one for, for the kids, for, the, for everybody, but uh, family-friendly um, time. Wear your ugly Christmas sweaters, um, crazy Christmas socks, all that sort of stuff. Come and, and celebrate together on Christmas Eve at 2 o'clock. We're still going to be doing that service. We're adding a second Christmas Eve service this year at 11 o'clock p.m. It's going to be a candlelight service. I know that's really late and past a lot of y'all's bedtimes. If you've got little people, I know it's past their bedtime. They need to be in bed so the jolly red man comes down the chimney, right? But if you don't have kids, um, come and join us um, for that really special time. There is absolutely nothing in the world like a dark sanctuary and lit candles at midnight singing Silent Night. If you've never experienced it, come. I know it's late. I know it's dark. Carpool. If you need help, if you don't feel comfortable driving at night, you want to be here, ask for help. There will be people who will help you come and be here for that service. The next day, Christmas Day. We don't normally do church on Christmas Day, do we? Except this year it's on Sunday. So what we're going to be doing, Miss Becky and I are going to be working on putting together a service of lessons and carols. If you've never experienced a service of lessons and carols, guess what? You don't have to listen to me ramble on. It's going to be singing in Scripture and singing in Scripture. And what better way to celebrate Christmas Day than to get together? Because we never get a chance to sing enough Christmas carols, do we? That's always the complaint that I have and that I hear from y'all at the end. We didn't sing enough Christmas carols. Well, hopefully this year we're going to have an opportunity to sing some more. That's going to be at 10.30. There's not going to be Sunday school that day. We're going to have, um, we're going to have the service at 10.30. Um, if you are able, uh, be here at 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall for some fellowship time, coffee and cookies, um, and uh, some Christmas morning fellowship. Again, recognize those of you who have little people in your lives. You may not be able to be here at 10 o'clock. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big morning, um, uh, Christmas morning. Um, but I know that there are a lot of folks who are going to want to have a little bit of extra fellowship time. And for those of you who have already volunteered to help with that, I appreciate that very much. I'm excited. I'll be honest. For the first time in a couple of years, I'm really excited about Christmas. Um, I have actually already thought about bringing the Christmas tree down, and I am fairly, I'm a fairly strict not-until-after-Santa-Claus-comes-down-Park-Avenue guy. Um, but it almost came down earlier this week. Just, you know, just pre-staging it. Um, but, we, uh, but I am excited about Christmas, and I'm excited about Christmas here at Fairmont First Baptist this year. I hope that you will take the time um, to, to be here and invite folks to come and join you. This is the week of Thanksgiving, right? Just a couple of days, it, it will be Thanksgiving Day. Um, the, the third Thursday... Um, excuse me, the fourth Thursday in November is Thanksgiving Day. Um, 
1978, on the fourth Thursday of November, it was Thanksgiving Day, but also there were two individuals who decided that that would be a great day to get married. That was my mom and dad, and they got married on Thanksgiving Day. And very famously, my grandfather could never remember that Thanksgiving was not their anniversary. That their anniversary was, in fact, the 24th. And so every year, it did not matter when the 24th actually was, when their anniversary actually was, they were getting their anniversary gift and their anniversary card on Thanksgiving Day because he was there, and so he remembered they got married on Thanksgiving, so that must be their anniversary, right? But that's not how we do it. We do it on the the fourth Thursday, so it moves around, the date moves around. The first time that it was that fourth Thursday was in 1863 when Abraham Lincoln declared a national day of Thanksgiving. Um, If you know your Civil War history, the summer of 1863 had been a fairly bad summer. And uh, and so um, he decided to declare a national day of Thanksgiving. Of course, we all know that story about the first Thanksgiving, right? The English settlers who came here and in the frozen lands of Virginia celebrated the first Thanksgiving. Because that's where it was. It wasn't in Massachusetts. Just so you know. The Yankees stole yet something else from us. But we know these stories, right, about Thanksgiving. But, but it's this interesting thing, right, because, because it, it's this combination of, of a civil holiday, but also there are these religious undertones and religious elements to it. It's right for us to, to pause intentionally and give thanks But I think the question we need to ask ourselves that sometimes we run the risk of doing, and we do this when we create special days for things, is is this something that we should only be doing one day a year? Should we be stop and be intentional about giving things only one day a year? And I would offer no. I think as we're going to see today that God's desire is for us to live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. That that it should be a, a way of life day in and day out, morning, noon, and night, continually forever giving thanks to God. We're continuing this series, this just short little two-parter, Thanks and Giving, in which we're looking at how to build a life of gratitude. And so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, the very end of 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 5. It's three verses, but you couldn't tell it by just looking at it short verses. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Rejoice always. That's one verse. Pray continually. That's another verse. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the Word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, as we stop this morning, as we stop to read your Word, to study your Word, as we stop to give thanks, as we, as we stop to, to cultivate a, a heart of gratitude in ourselves, God, I pray that, that, we, would, that we would respond in these three ways. That, that we would that we would be 
joyful. That we would pray. And that we would give thanks. These are the responses that you have asked of us. And so God, as we, as we look at them and study them and seek to understand them this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. What we see here in these three very short verses are three instructions from Paul. This is the very end of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. Uh, you, you may, uh, your Bible may have some label for it up around verse 12. Um, mine labels it uh, exhortations and blessings. Exhortations, right? Commands. He's exhorting them to do certain things. And, and he sort of peppers them with, these, with this quick, rapid fire. Oh, don't, don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do this. Kind of like what your mom used to do when you left the house, right? Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Don't forget to drive safe. Don't forget to wear your seatbelt. I always love that. Don't forget to drive safe. As if I would have forgotten. I mean, I did forget, but it had nothing to do with the fact that she didn't say anything. It had to do with the fact that I was 16 years old. But, but what we see here, in particular, the way that, that, that Paul writes these, phrases these, and brings these together, we have these, these three things that are, if we were to put it in the full context of 1 Thessalonians, deeply invested and deeply involved in our worship, our worship that goes to God because of who God is and because what God has done for us. Because, because of the work of Christ, these are the three things that it is God's will that we do. And so the first, in verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Except, when you really try and think about, what would it mean to rejoice always, to, to be joyful all the time? Is that possible? I don't know about you, but, but joy is not a tap I have inside that I can turn on and off. Right? It's not a spigot outside that I can... You know, crank one way and turn it on. Crank one way, turn it off. Go halfway and get halfway. It doesn't work like that, right? I think we'd be, be wise to understand this instruction not as, um, you know, be happy all the time, be, be without sorrow all the time. I think it would be better for us to understand this, and we can understand it in the way that Paul has written it and put it in, 1 Thessalonians is this, rejoice in the Lord always. Now that is something that we can't always do. Sometimes it's harder than others, but we can't always rejoice in the Lord. And, and, and I'll tell you this, if there is a rejoice in the Lord tap inside of us, when, when we become followers of Christ, God breaks the knob off of it so we can't turn it off. As, as believers, our, our, our joy in the Lord should be a constant outflowing of our lives. It should be a, a, a constant presence. It should flood the backyard. 
you know, it's reminiscent of some Old Testament instructions from Psalm 95, the first verse of Psalm 95. Come, let's shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Here we have in the Psalms, hundreds of years before Christ is born, to the rock of our salvation. Shout joyfully to the Lord, triumphantly, the rock of our salvation. Or we can flip over a couple of Psalms, the first verse of Psalm 100. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Does that remind you of anything from the Gospels? Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and the scribes and Pharisees tell him to silence the crowds. And what's his response? If they were silent, the rocks and stones themselves would sing. I always have to be careful because the version that I have memorized in my head is from Jesus Christ Superstar. And you don't want me to sing Jesus Christ Superstar. I am not a tenor that can carry that Jesus part. But, but what Paul is telling us here, what Paul is issuing is not an order to be happy no matter what. But it's an invitation to worship. God has saved you. He is the rock of your salvation. Now here is an invitation to worship Him. To worship Almighty God with awe and humility. But to be joyful in it. To be joyful in our worship. Ready to say that again? To be joyful in our worship. How many of you have been to church and you just felt like you were sitting like a bump on a log? I, I want to ask a serious question. Not just of this congregation, but of congregations across the world. Where is our joy when we gather for worship? A number of years ago, before we were married, but I was living in Williamsburg, I went to, to church on Easter Sunday morning. It just so happened to align. I, I, I got one Sunday off and four. It just so happened to align that I had Easter Sunday off. Man, and I was so excited. I got up early for the sunrise service out on Jamestown Island, and if you know me, getting up for a sunrise anything is a minor miracle in and of itself. And I was up, and I was dressed, and I went home, and I made myself breakfast, and I got to church, and I was ready, and I looked around, and it was the most morose gathering of human beings I have ever experienced. On Easter Sunday morning, not, no joy, stress, Anxiety. Does the new suit fit right? Does the new bow tie look good? Is everybody, everybody's looking at my kids' new, new smock dresses. Are they clean enough? Are they pressed enough? Are they starched enough? Are they good enough? That's what people had brought to church on, Christmas, on Easter Sunday morning. Not joy in the resurrection. How many church services... Have you been to in this congregation or another congregation that was just gloomy? 
boring. Man, I appreciated Kelly Barr being here last week. Because I got some feedback. I got some amens. There was somebody in the room who was listening to what I was saying and responding. And here's the thing. Y'all can do it because when he started it, y'all started. You just needed somebody to give you permission. Blanket permission. Joy in the Lord. Yes, our worship to Almighty God needs to be full of awe and humility. We are dirt worshiping the Creator of the universe. We are creature bowing before Creator, and yet He should have be placing joy in your So, let there be organs and trumpets and, okay, you can have a deacon's meeting and fire me later. Maybe guitars and, 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 and a lute and, and maybe a drum and a cymbal. And, uh, and, uh, and what, are the, what are those little things that you shake? and Tambourine, there you go. Sorry, I'm not Stevie Nicks. I don't know what it's called. Joy. That's, that's a natural command from God for our thanksgiving. Joy. Verse 17, pray constantly. Pray constantly. You know, Jesus had told, told his disciples They should always pray and not give up. Right before he tells them the parable of the wicked judge and the persistent widow, right? (laughs) The widow who's just there, who does not stop, who does not stop, who does not stop. An illustration, pray constantly. Pray constantly. Pray constantly. You know, then in in Luke and in Matthew, he, he gives... Is the disciples, the, the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever, ever listened to the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily. It's not intended to be a prayer that you pray on your own. He's teaching them to pray, and he's teaching them to pray from, from the collective, from the we, not from the me. Pray constantly, but pray constantly together in church family, in church community. And so if praise and joy is one indispensable element of public worship, prayer is another. Let us gather together to pray. We should accept the responsibility to engage in serious intercession not only during Sunday morning service, but Sunday night service, midweek service. We should be praying for for our own church members. We should be praying for the church throughout the world, for church leaders, for the church's adherence to God's revelation, for the church's holiness, for the church's unity and mission. We should be praying for our nation. 
for its unity, for its leaders, for Congress and the, and the President, even when you don't like him. Maybe especially when you don't like him. For the mayor, for the governor, for all those judges that we like and all the ones we don't. We need to be praying for, for evangelism, for world mission, for, for the expansion of the Gospels into hard-to-reach places and, and to people groups that have never heard the Gospel before. Pray for, for peace and for justice to reign around the world. Pray for the poor and the hungry and the homeless and the sick. You know, sometimes people ask that question, well, why doesn't God do something? This thing is happening in the world. Why doesn't God do something? Brothers and sisters, God has done something. He sent Jesus. He died on a cross. He instituted his church. He made us his body. Why doesn't God do something? God has done something. He gave us the church, the very body of Christ. It's so easy to sit and to say, man, oh, it's a bad world. It's a bad world out there. This thing happened, that thing happened, this thing happened. Oh, oh, look how, look how wicked people are. Look at what's happening just, just right here. Look at this, look at that, look at this other thing. Hey, there was a, there was a, there was a shooting at a middle school football game. There was, as I said, there was a, a shooting at a nightclub in Denver last night. Who knows how many drug overdoses we've had in Robinson County this week. Statistics would tell us more than one. It's a bad world. It's a fallen world. What would happen if God's people were actually broken and sorrowful about the brokenness in the world and God's people actually spent time on their knees actually praying for the world? I sometimes fear that the, the slow progress that we see in the world around us is, is is due more than anything else to the prayerlessness of God's people. You want to know why things are the way that they are? Because God's people have been given a great and mighty gift. And this gift is met by virtual silence from us. We meet three times a week in this church. We meet three times a week in this church to study the Word and to pray. And on Sunday night and Wednesday night, most times I can count on one hand the number of people that are here. You want to know why this community is the way that it is? Because God's people aren't meeting and praying. By the way, if you have them, this might be a day to put on your steel-toe boots.
the final thing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the one that may actually be the hardest for us. Because there are days that we do not feel like praising or praying or giving thanks to God. There are days that are hard, that are tough. And I'm looking out here and I'm seeing you and I know for some of you, I know what those days were. For some of you, I was with you those days. And for some of you, I've heard the stories of those days. And for some of you, those, that day is today. You know, our, our circumstances in our life may not be conducive to, to, to praying and praising and giving thanks. But, but Scripture instructs us that we do it anyway. Notice what it says, though. It says we're to, give, we're, we're to give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances. In all circumstances. You know, evil and injustice and cruelty and, and, and sin and brokenness exist every day in this world. And Scripture never instructs us to give thanks for, the, for wickedness or for immoral things or for sinful circumstances, but to give thanks in them. When we find ourselves in them, to give thanks in them. Some of y'all know the story of the Ten Booms, Corey Ten Boom and her family. You may have known this story. Corey and her sister Betsy had to find a way to give thanks when they were in Ravensbrück concentration camp. They were there. Their family had been arrested for hiding Jews, and their fa- whole family were sent off to concentration camps. And they were sent... Corey and her sister were sent to Ravensbrook, and at one point they were moved into a new barracks. And the barracks was just absolutely, utterly infested with fleas. Now, somehow they had been able to, to miraculously smuggle a Bible into the camp with them. And as they were reading that Bible together, they read the thing that they were to give thanks in all things and that God could use anything for good. And Betsy felt convicted that they should give thanks to God for the fleas. And that was a bridge too far for Corey. Nope, not giving thanks for the fleas. But Betsy continued after her and continued after her and insisted, and finally she get, Corey gave in, and she prayed to God, thanking him even for the fleas. And over the next several months, they noticed something. They noticed that the guards never entered their barracks, never set foot in their barracks. And what that meant is it meant not only that the women who were in that barracks were spared from attacks by the guards. It also meant that these two women, brave, courageous women, were able to have open Bible study in the midst of a concentration camp barracks. I mean, just right there, literally, in front of God and everybody. And nobody ever noticed because the guards never came in. And you know why the guards never came in? Because the fleas were so bad. They gave thanks for the fleas. And because of that, countless women in Robinsbrook came to faith in Christ. Here these women were in this evil, wicked, immoral, awful circumstance, and what did they do? They found a way to seek joy in the Lord. They prayed, and they gave thanks to God even in the midst of a flea-ridden barracks and a concentration camp. And what did God do with that? He not only saw them through, he, not only did he hold them fast, he used their safety to advance his kingdom's 
and build his people. Because that is God's will for you in Christ. It's God's will, as expressed and seen in Jesus Christ, that whenever his people meet together for worship, whenever, whenever we're together to, for the gratitude to build up in us because of what Christ has done for us, that whatever our feelings and circumstances may be, that we should be rejoicing to him, praying to him, and giving thanks to him for his mercies. As followers of Jesus, we are not immune to the trials, pains, difficulties, and sufferings of life. In fact, life sometimes can be brutal. And as your pastor, I know how brutal it can be. Because I meet with you, and I pray with you, and I cry with you. This was a brutal week. And in, in those times, it can be extremely difficult to give thanks to God. And we do this thing where we do a disservice to new believers, but we also do a disservice to ourselves when we perpetuate this myth that all we have to do is accept Christ and everything's going to be okay. Corey and Betsy Tim Boom accepted Christ and they ended up in a flea-infested barracks in Robinsbrook. Scripture promises us trials and tribulations. But through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can give thanks in all circumstances for several reasons. First, because God is always with us, even in the darkest of times. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Giving thanks is an act of faith rather than not walking by sight. We have to see beyond our circumstances and we have to look to Jesus. And he will hold us fast. Second, Jesus understands what we're going through. Hebrews, this may be one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. I do not care what you have been through, what you have experienced. Christ did it first. We can never say, I am in this alone, I am unique. No human being who has ever lived has ever experienced this because the promise of Scripture is there is one. Maybe it's only one other. Maybe you are so unique that it's only one other person who's ever lived. But there was, and it was Jesus. An amazing gift. In his life on earth and his death on a cross, Jesus went through tremendous pain and suffering, and he understands how we feel. Not in a, oh, I know how you feel, but in a, I know how you feel. I've lived it. I've been there. Finally, this, the Holy Spirit is in us, comforting us, encouraging us, 
strengthening us. The Holy Spirit ministers to us in the midst of loss and pain. As I said, this has been a brutal week. This has been a brutal week. And I realized something this week. I realized I only have one thing to offer you. I only have one thing to offer you. The only thing I have for you is Jesus Christ. That's it. I don't have anything else. I don't have any great worldly wisdom. Lord knows I don't have that. I don't have a secret to give you. I don't have a silver bullet to sell you. I I have nothing, only Christ. You understand? I have nothing. I have nothing for you but Christ. I have nothing for you but Christ. That's it. That's all I've got. All I've got is Jesus. All I've got is Jesus. Christ alone. That's it. But brothers and sisters, that's it. That's it. That's all you need. There are so many people that I wish that I I had in my life that I could get them to understand that all they need is Christ. There isn't anything else. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. Let me leave you with this. I probably told you stories before about my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother, Ima, who was married to John Wesley Prinzing, whom the new baby will be named for, Wesley. Grandma Ima was born in 1894. No, excuse me, 1896. In Round Rock, Texas. When she was a little girl, they moved to Oklahoma. She remembers moving to Oklahoma behind a covered wagon. Oklahoma was so rough, her mother convinced her daddy to sell a crop in the field, and they moved back to civilization, West Texas. My grandparents were tenant farmers. My grandmother's earliest memory was as a small child being pulled on a burlap sack behind her mother, behind Ima, as Ima picked cotton. And let me tell you, West Texas cotton isn't cotton. West Texas cotton is cotton. In the the 30s, they had put together enough money. They had their own spread. They had their own flock of sheep. There was a flood. The dam broke. All of the sheep were washed downstream. They never owned a house. She never owned a house until she was in her 90s. Even then, she didn't own it. Daddy bought it. This is a woman who lived social security check to social security check. If there was any human being who has walked the face of the earth that could be described as poor, it was my great-grandmother. And in 1994, when she died at 98, we went out to West Texas for her funeral, and her friend Anna Lee came up to my mother, and she said, Ima was the richest woman I have ever known. Not once in my life did I ever hear that woman complain. 
Not once in my life did I ever hear that woman talk about what she should have had or what should have been. But every day, three times a day, every day that I was with her, I heard her give thanks to God for what she had and for what he had done for her and for her Savior, Jesus Christ. Every meal, every meal started with Scripture and prayer. And often ended with chocolate pie. She was the richest woman I've ever known and didn't have two pennies to rub together because she had Jesus Christ and him crucified. There is so much we have to be joyful for. There is so much we have in our hearts to take to the Lord in prayer. There is so much we have to be grateful for. Our hymn of invitation today is going to be We Gather Together.